Hello and welcome to Splinters. This is Gary Rogowski for the Northwest Woodworking Studio. Thanks for joining us. Today's podcast is one I've called Restraint. Restraint, the word calls up so many images, does it not? Who among us has not needed to be restrained? Who among us has not wanted to restrain another? Let's discuss some means of restraint. Corsets, cattle guards, velvet handcuffs, 15 items or less, property lines, lane markings, one martini lunch, climbing ropes, invisible dog fences, fishing nets, happy hour, mind the gap, a medium rare order on your stake. These are all restraints that we willingly and oftentimes happily engage in, except perhaps for the handcuffs. And no doubt there are many moments at the bench that I think call for restraint, sometimes great restraint. It is much like parenting, I imagine, in that respect, or placing a phone call to an insensitive phone company or talking to a county worker about your back taxes. Restraint is called for. Calm will emerge from this restraint. But things do happen at the bench. Let's make a list, shall we, of some of the times when restraint is needed. Tools break at inopportune moments. Just as you finally get into the shop, yearning for some time there, longing to be reunited with your loved ones, that is your tools, and that project that has sat so long on your makeshift bench with no progress. You have moved your car out, you've pulled out the right tools, made some space, then closed or opened the door and turned on your good music and settled in and you go to make a simple cut and the router motor dies or the switch on it goes out, or the chisel has been borrowed by your brother-in-law again, or the table saw crosscut jig has been dropped and is clearly out of square. No progress will be made. Hopes are dashed. Restraint, therefore, is needed. How about tools are dull? Who used that chisel to try to cut through a nail? Who is hand-planing concrete again? Is white oak really that hard? These questions come to mind when a hand tool does not respond well, is on life support or is simply died in your hands. Restraint is required. You sharpen a plain iron and it's a little better than before. Have you had this happen? Do you drag the new edge over the bench or did the chip breaker scrape itself across the iron when you put it on? A rolling wrist of yours with the final strokes and your precise angle is no longer there? Do it again. Restraint. Again. Or your brain breaks at an inopportune moment. You are routing a 45-degree chamfer on your, on your tabletop on the end grain, you decide, let's just back this cut up just a little. You know better. You really, you know better. And yet you try it, and the router bit catches the work, and bloop, that's the sound it makes as it climb cuts, tears out great chunks of the end of your board. Nice, nice, but restraint is wanted here. Or your brain breaks when you are actually carefully watching it. You have measured twice and cut once. Too short. Or measured properly and made the cut, and it's exactly the right size, on the wrong side of the board. Restraint now, Johnny. Restraint. When gluing, you glue the pieces in backwards. This elicits, if not a great groan of dismay, at least a sigh, a rolling of the eyes, perhaps a tossed piece of scrap. You know, your tools are important. You don't want to put them into flight. Restraint. Remember your restraint. Or when gluing, you forget to glue in one of the pieces, but can't get it out now. You can't get that piece out now. And oftentimes a rattle in a joint is considered a sign of craftsmanship. But I'm not sure that that's really how it should be considered. It's possible, I suppose. Restraint is called for here. 
Or when gluing, I glued my panel in by mistake inside the frame. Too much glue and the frame squeezed out and now that panel's stuck. Not to worry. When the panel frees itself with a loud, sharp crack some, some evening, folks will know that the piece was handmade and split by the forces of nature. Some dry summer night. Ah, sweet restraint when remembered. Or when gluing, I didn't put enough glue on an edge glue up. Worry knits my brow. I have to restrain myself or perhaps let loose and let me get the fix on, which is to give up and cut the panel apart. Ugh, replane the edges. And then slather on so much glue. Or when gluing, I glued the piece inside out. I flipped it over and now the inside face is facing out. I had it marked, but I didn't look. How could I be so... What's, what's the word I'm searching for? Oh, you must know one or two or several. Oh, restraint. When gluing, I put the clamp on crooked and snap off the end of a leg. Restraint. Remember? Put that stool down. Put it down. Or when gluing. Four clamps seemed like enough on this frame, and now I'm rushing about the shop to find four more. Cool, man. Be cool. Restrain yourself. When finishing. When a final coat of finish looks like it was put on with a rubber spatula. Restraint is best under the circumstances. Strip it. Start again which is only a very long way of bringing us about to another form of restraint, which is the topic of our talk really today, breadboard ends. Now, breadboard ends, yeah, it was a very long, long way of getting us around to this topic, but breadboard ends, as I wrote about in a recent issue of Fine Woodworking Magazine, breadboard ends help restrain a tabletop or a lid to a box, any glued-up panel that you think over time might experience some desire to cup. The breadboard ends are boards that are attached across the end of a board, both covering up the end grain of it, therefore cutting down on moisture loss and gain through the end grain. We know that end grain, don't we? We know that end grain is about 12 times more porous than long grain, so a lot of moisture gets lost or gained through the end grain. And if we cover that up with a breadboard end that's, say, only three or four inches wide, we've cut down on quite a bit of that exchange. But the problem with the breadboard end is that it cannot be glued in place. You glue it across your tabletop, and the tabletop will crack eventually. And since the glue joint is usually, if done properly, stronger than the wood, the wood's going to split. So that breadboard end has to be affixed somehow so that it holds the tabletop flat, but still allows for movement. How is this possible? Well, it turns out there are a couple of different methods for putting your breadboard ends on. But let me let me go back and tell you a story first. I was building a, a sewing table for my sweetie way back, way back when, and I decided to make it out of birch. What a mistake. What a mistake. That stuff moves so much. Anyway, the table was 21 inches deep. It wasn't super deep, but it was deep enough. And I decided that I wanted breadboard ends. Now, breadboard ends provide a structural advantage to a tabletop holding the uh, tabletop flat over time. But it's also a decorative element to a piece. And so I thought, well, this would be a really nice thing to add to this, this sewing table. 21 inches. And I decided to make the breadboard end with a sliding dovetail. Now, sliding dovetails, I learned, uh, quite a lesson, are difficult. They're difficult to cut. 
and over 21 inches, almost impossible to fit. And yet, I managed somehow to get these breadboard ends on. I don't know how I got glue in the middle. I, let me back up from backing up. When you put on your breadboard end, you're going to glue only the center two or three inches. So I don't think I, I could have glued this in place, uh, this, this sliding dovetail breadboard end. It just took me forever to get the thing across and still make it tight enough so it stayed on. And Anyway, I got those breadboard ends on and I took them over to uh, Specialty Woodworking. Yeah, Specialty Woodworking. And, and Bobby Bigger was a foreman over there. And Bobby took a look at this tabletop and he looked at me and he just grinned. He just must have been saying to, to himself, Oh, you are so dumb. Good try, but you are so dumb. Anyways, uh, they sanded it flat for me, and I gave it to my sweetie. And um, That tabletop regularly expanded about a quarter of an inch in and out every year. It was amazing how much that moved. But that's the thing. You have to allow for that movement uh, with a breadboard end. Uh, I built a, a toolbox 10 years later with a, a top on it. The lid was had breadboard ends on it. And so I thought, well, this is... This is going to help hold this top flat, which it has done. It's probably 30 years old by now, and it has held it flat. Alder was the wood I used for the uh, top of this, this toolbox, and I put the breadboard end on with a tongue and groove joint, so there was some mechanical resistance, and then I added some screws through the breadboard end into the panel, and the screws sat in a slot, so they were free to, to move when the top moved. And I glued the center two or three inches of it. The day I glued it up, it moved in. It shrunk about, I don't know, 32nd of an inch on both sides. And it's never, never gone back out. Uh, it's, all, it's always stayed shrunk up. But that's what happens. Wood moves. I think we can agree on this. A table I did many years later as, a, as an article for, for Fine Woodworking was on a green and green design or a modification of one of their uh, table designs. And this had breadboard ends on it as well. But there were a couple of clever things that the Green Brothers and maybe the Hall Brothers, their builders, added into this, this breadboard end. Normally, like when you see Shaker furniture, you'll see a lot of their dining tables have breadboard ends or their, you know, I don't know if you'd call them a refectory table, but they're, you know, eating tables have these breadboard ends on them, and it's a distinctive look. Some panels uh, for doors will have breadboard ends, but it's a very distinctive look, and they are flush at the ends, or until the panel shrinks, uh, are flush. Well, Green and Green designed these breadboard ends for the tabletop to be, oh gosh, a half inch longer than the tabletop itself. So a quarter inch on each side of it, longer, so that when the top moved, it was disguised. That movement was disguised by the length of that breadboard end. And then they would add another little cloud rise detail, a spline they would put in, usually in ebony, to cover up the joint. Because again, they were using a tongue and groove joint. And it's a both a really strong way to put your breadboard end on, a tongue and groove joint, and a, and a beautiful decoration added to the piece so that there's an ebony spline that's glued into the 
tabletop and it moves inside a little, that little groove cut into the breadboard end. But disguises movement but looks re- really pretty and is another tactile element, which is so important in the green and green vernacular. There are ways of, of doing this so that the breadboard end is a very distinctive design element along with helping to restrain the top. The key, though, with any breadboard end, and and please read the article. You'll see there's, I don't know, I think we give you four methods for putting on these breadboard ends. The key is always, always to use uh, what's called a spring joint on this breadboard end to better restrain the piece. Back to this topic. So the breadboard end is a um, straight piece of wood, and you cut a groove in it and a tongue or a tongue with tenons or you decide on, on how that is going to get a fix but there's something mechanically holding it together but what holds it tight at the ends is after you fit that joint if you cut a slight concavity along the edge of the breadboard end along that piece that's stretching across the tabletop you cut a little hollow in that then when you glue it up in the middle and you glue it up in that middle three inches, it's going to be really tight at the ends. It has to be for you to suck that in. You know, we're talking over a two-foot tabletop, say, you know, a 32nd of an inch, maybe just a hair more than that. Pull that in and glue it, and, man, that's, that stays. So on that uh, toolbox of mine, it's, uh, it's noticeable. You can see where it's pulled away. I mean, we're talking a few thousandths of an inch, at the at the ends, but it's still tight in the middle. But uh, you know the whole thing is still in great shape. It's still in great shape. Uh, but it, that spring joint helps give you a little hedge against uh, movement over time, and that is um, that is important. So restraint over time. That is the that is our message to you today. It is important to stay restrained in this. Uh, In this work, breadboard ends are one great way of uh, keeping a tabletop flat while still allowing for movement. I cannot think immediately of an analogy to my own life that would ask for restraint while allowing for movement. I'll think on it. In any event, this has been Gary Rogowski with Splinters. Please check out our website, northwestwoodworking.com, for information about our upcoming classes. We have a joinery concentration coming up in in a few weeks no a week's time and a uh, drafting and drawing class yeah with a pencil that should be great fun with ken Kloss, architect and uh, i learned a lot from ken years ago about about drawing and it makes such a difference you can go then to your uh, sketch up or whatever program you use to to design furniture but i think that connection between your hand and your eye and your brain is really important as a designer. Uh, you want to start running riffs on the idea or permutations or pull numbers. That's great. Go to SketchUp. But the, those original ideas and the ability to sit somewhere and sketch something, it's, it's not only great fun, it's so valuable, I think, in making that connection in your head. And, you know, as a designer, your ability to sit down with a client Whomever your client may be, your sweetie, your, your mom, um, an actual paying client, 
they may not always be visual. And your ability to just sit and sketch out, this is what I'm thinking. This is what I'm thinking. Just boom, boom. It's so valuable. It's so, it's so wonderful to have that skill in hand with a pencil and simple piece of paper. That's communication. So that class is coming up February 29th. Saturday, two Saturdays, two consecutive Saturdays of drawing and drafting. So please join us for that. We've got just a few spots left. What else do we have coming up? Oh, too much to mention. We have some great stuff coming up, and I hope you'll join us. This woodworking is is good fun, and once you step through the door to it, a whole world opens up of possibility. There are so many ways to do this this work, and it's. Uh, it's been a blessing, a joy to have been on this journey myself. So come and join us. Come have some fun. Invest in yourself. That's what I say. Invest in yourself. Invest in your education. Thank you again. Check out the website, northwestwoodworking.com. Take care. Bye-bye.